All right, well, good morning. Thanks for being here today. Glad you're making it through the, uh, the, the year. We're, we're getting close to the end, aren't we? This is uh, Thanksgiving week. It's a big Sunday. A lot of folks are already in the tree stand this morning. Hmm? They know the price of Thanksgiving turkey is going up, so they're going for deer meat this week, huh? And uh, of course, as you heard Joel say, this is, a, this is also a big Sunday for us here at Gateway because we're commemorating uh, the 65th year of existence. On November the 18th, which is Danny Rose's birthday, if you see Danny, on November 18th, 1956, 16 people came from the Boulevard Church in uh, Charleston to St. Albans to start a church. And uh, we're here today, 65 years later. We had a, a lot of those folks uh, who were here in the beginning days at our last service. I kind of put it at the end of that service in case anyone wanted to come in from other campuses. And we did have some. We had a grand uh, celebration. And there's still donuts, uh, I think. There's still any donuts out there? Anybody? Can you give me some word on that? All right. So let's try to eat those up. We'll help Joel out and keep him healthy by not letting him eat any donut. He's probably already had four or five. So, but, uh, you know, Bobby F Fisher, Bobby Fisher Tabor was our first, uh, our last remaining charter member, and her husband Keith was the first convert of this church. And it's been an incredible ride just the last 25 years, but it's been 65 for this church. Many of you have been a part of it. Here we are today, uh, four locations and uh, a campus in Haiti, a great work going on there, uh, serving God, loving God, loving people, serving God and people, and doing all that. Thank you so much for being a part of Gateway. Now, we're in our third week of this series, The Chosen. I don't know if you've been watching with us. Some of you have been coming, good attendance at every campus watching this TV series. It is an incredible series. And I'll say this again, if we don't support things like this as Christians, then who's going to? This is probably the best rendition of the life of Christ in our lifetime. Maybe ever, maybe ever, I think ever. And it is really capturing the, uh, I think the, the essence of who Jesus was and what Probably things were like in his day, and you know, we can study history and we can recreate things and the backstories on some of these disciples. Just well done, well done. Support it by watching it. Support it also, if you would like, by paying it forward. You can go to their website, thechosen.com, to watch or to contribute a small amount. On I think we're on season three now, so I encourage you to do that. It is so good. And our series, our sermon series, intersects with some of the stories you're going to see even this week. The Marmette campus, we're ahead, uh, we're ahead one week on the viewing, so we've seen some of the episodes you have it, and you're in for a treat this week. This week, episodes five and six are some of the best, I think, in the season one. So you're in for a treat, but watch these, and I, I, I think you'll agree with me that it causes us to have a new love for Jesus. That's what we want to do. We want to we spark a, a love for Jesus, fall in love with him. And if you already have years ago, then we want to renew that spark. 
We want to kindle the flame, a new appreciation for who he is because he is, he is the subject of our sermons. He is the object of our worship. He is the strength of our service. Jesus is. It's all about him. It's all about him. He is the chosen one. Now, we've talked about how he knows us. That was week one. He knows you completely. Right now, he knows what's going through your heart and your head and your life. Last week, we talked about how he invites us to join him, to follow him. He changes our name. He changes our mission. He changes our life and everything about it. And today, we're going to look at how he amazes us. He is amazing. Now, I picked the titles for these thinking about just simple things we could say about Jesus. And I think if you read the Gospels and even watched the series, you would, you would kind of, it would jump out at you from the pages of the Gospels and from the series how people, when they met Jesus, were amazed. In fact, I went through the Gospels uh, the last couple of weeks preparing for this message, and you'd be surprised how many times, or you may not be, the word amazing is used when people met Jesus. So what, what was it about him that was so amazing? And I just want to spend a little bit of time this morning talking about that. First of all, his miracles were amazing. I mean, when you think about Jesus, you think about maybe your favorite story in the Bible, your favorite miracle story, and there are so many of them. We could preach a series, you know, six months or so, maybe longer, just on the miracles of Jesus. And his miracles were amazing. You know, with all the late technology that we have and the computer-generated graphics that we see on TV and Hollywood can produce, with all the things that we have today, uh, it is still amazing what Jesus did in the first century. But you, you think about bringing a first-century visitor from there and plop them down in our world today. You think about what that would do to their brain. Think about taking them into your house. <clears throat> I mean, first, you've, you've already blown their minds because you put them in your car and you drove them. But let's just say they walked to your house. They walked up the street. They came in your door, which is impressive enough that you live in a mansion. You say, but wait a minute, I don't live in a mansion. But yeah, compared to the folks in the first century, you live in a mansion. And then you flip this little switch on your wall and light comes on because it's driven by electricity and TVs are playing and phones are ringing. All sorts of things are happening. It would absolutely blow the mind of the first century person, wouldn't it? I mean, it would be incredible to think about all that we have today being put on all of a sudden a first century person. It would absolutely just uh, blow their mind. And, you know, we can do some pretty amazing things today. I mean, we have, we have so much today. We have uh, planes and trains and automobiles. We have uh, telescopes and microscopes and stethoscopes. And there, there, we could go on and on and on and on and talk about modern technology and inventions that are pretty amazing in and of themselves. But let me tell you something not one miracle that Jesus performed can be duplicated today with all of our technology. Not one. 
Now, medicine and science can do a lot of things to help people. There are miracle cures, and there's surgeries, and there's treatments, and there's, you know, we can see things uh, up close and far away. We can see all these things, but no miracle can be duplicated quite the way Jesus duplicated these miracles. For instance, in Mark chapter 2, he healed a paralytic with just a word. I mean, he just spoke a word. It, and there was no surgery. There was no tests run. <clears throat> he just spoke a word. And the Bible says this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. He transformed. And you'll see that this week if you're in episodes five and six. He transformed the molecules of H2O. He put it he put it into a very complex system of fermentation that creates ethanol and glycerol and polysaccharides and uh, organic acids and all sorts of things. If you look at the makeup, the chemical makeup of wine, and he transformed it with just a prayer. What an incredible thing. People were so impressed. The banquet master, when he tasted this wine, he said, Stop the music. What's going on here? Everybody serves the best first, and then when the senses are dull, they serve the worst. But you have waited to the end to serve the best because Jesus made it. He cast a legion of demons out of a man and into a herd of pigs, and the Bible says in Mark 5, 20, the people, all the people were amazed. He walked out to his disciples in a storm on top of water. And Mark's gospel says his disciples were completely amazed. He healed lots of people. The Bible says in Matthew 15, 31, the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised God. You know, John's gospel alludes to something that we don't think about a whole lot, but we ought to. Jesus did a whole lot more we, we didn't even see. He said, in fact, if we wrote everything down, the world wouldn't have enough room for all the books we could write. Just think about the miracles Jesus performed that you don't even know about, that we, we don't even have eyewitness account about. You know, when I was watching the episode this past Wednesday at Marmette, uh, we were watching, uh, you know, the, on this one of these episodes, five or six, the Jesus, uh, the, they lower the man down on the mat, and Jesus uh, makes him walk again. And I, and, I, and I thought, and this this thought has occurred to me uh, through this series, and really before, but I thought, man, if you were ever going to run a marathon or do something incredible athletically, you should do it right after that miracle, right? Because you know you're healthy then. He heals the leper man. You're like, man, I'm going to do something great today because I got the power of the Lord in me. And so Jesus' miracles were amazing. You see, we learn from the gospels that he is the God who comes down to us to interrupt the science, to command the laws of nature, to intervene in human biology, and to do the supernatural. That's who Jesus is. We can't take him for granted. We've got to give him his due. I mean, his, what he did was absolutely, amazingly incredible. Let's say it that way. But there was something else about him that was amazing. His teaching was amazing. 
You and I live in an age where, man, we are just inundated with words. You think about TV and social media, all these platforms where people are saying things to us. And there are some really good speakers out there. You know, it's hard today to be a preacher. It's hard to impress people. In fact, we're not here to impress people, but it's hard to even hold the attention of people because we are so inundated out there in our life with uh, 30-minute TV shows that are funny or moving. We're inundated with movies that use the latest technology to do incredible things that, you know, we're not even awed by anymore. We're just like, oh, okay, did you see that? He flew and then he regrew an arm and all this stuff happened. And, and it doesn't even impress us anymore because we see it every day. And it's not easy to captivate people and to hold people's attention with your words, but Jesus did. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. <clears throat> the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. And, and so G what Jesus said and the way he said it was captivating. People were all so amazed when he cast a demon out, you know, in this very scene in Mark chapter 1, a demon-possessed man wandered, stumbled into the temple, and began to uh, verbally harass Jesus and the crowd. And you know what Jesus said? I think he looked over him and said, shut up, I'm trying to teach here. And what did the demon do? He shut up. He obeyed because demons obey Jesus. They obey. First time obedience. Sometimes I have trouble with that, and you have trouble with that, but no, the demons don't. In Mark chapter 6, we read that Jesus went to his hometown in the synagogue and began to teach, and many who heard him, the Bible said, were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? I wish we could count all the times the word amazed is used or amazing is used in the context of Jesus and what he did and what he taught. He amazed people at every turn. He amazed his disciples who spent all this time with them. You know, there were times when you'd think they had it, they would understand that well, Jesus can do more than your average teacher. But there were times when he blew their minds, and the Bible says they were amazed. Not only did he amaze the people he was with and the disciples, he amazed his critics, people who hated him. You know, it's hard to impress your critics. It's hard to impress the people who want you dead. The Bible says in Matthew 22, one day they came to Jesus, and you know these, these religious leaders were always sending guys out to try to trap Jesus in, a, in a, a, you know, an unwinnable question. And, and so they came to him in Matthew 22, and they said, hey, um, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And they knew that if he said, yes, you should pay taxes, that they would go to the local people and say, hey, this man is advocating for Rome, and on the, it's on your backs, and, and the taxes are coming from your purses, and he just wants more of them. He wants you to give up more. So they would make the people mad. If Jesus said, no, don't pay your taxes, then they would turn around and go to the Romans and say, hey, there's a teacher out here, and he's advocating that people not pay their taxes. So if he says, yes, they win. If he says, no, they win, it was win-win for them. But if you remember Jesus, it was oftentimes a lose-lose for them and a win 
for him. Jesus said, bring me the coin you would be using to pay your taxes. And they brought him a coin. And it, he said, whose picture is on this? And what'd they say? Uh, Caesar's. He said, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. And I think this is one of the most interesting verses that has the word amazing in it. I see these guys scratching their heads like, Dad, God, he got us again. They heard this, they were amazed. <laughs> Amazingly stupid, huh? Amazingly beat. So they left him and went away. His miracles were amazing. His teaching was amazing. But you know, I think there's something else even that is hard to put your finger on, but everybody knows it. His persona. You know this word persona? I searched for a better word, but I couldn't find a better word than this. His persona was amazing. A Google definition of persona is the aspect of someone's character that is presented to or perceived by others. And what I mean by this is even before he lifted a finger to perform a miracle, even before he uttered a word in teaching, I think he projected something. When the producers of the Chosen TV series picked Jonathan Rumi to be Jesus, I wonder how many people, I would love to know the backstory on this, and maybe it's out there, maybe you've seen it. I wonder how many people they had to go through to find someone like Jonathan Rumi who had those smiling, piercing eyes and that, that face, uh, you know, to have a face that, you know, uh, if, if they were looking at all of us and saying, we need the face of Jesus, they wouldn't stop at me and they probably wouldn't stop at you, but what would it be like to have a face where people, that's Jesus right there. And he, they chose him because he personifies something. He exudes something. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. I believe what the writer is trying to say there is what we're talking about here. There was something about Jesus the Son. In our scripture reading, did I read the scripture? In, in uh, Luke chapter 4, we have a scripture reading. I think I glossed right over that. But in, in Luke chapter 4, we, we have a, a passage of scripture where the Bible says that Jesus went to his hometown and he began to preach. And he, when he got up, they handed him a scroll of Isaiah. And he opened it up and he began to preach from the scroll of Isaiah. It's Isaiah chapter 61 is preaching from. Now this guy had grown up in this town and the Bible says in, uh, that in verse 20 that the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And then notice verse 22. And then all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. This passage of scripture says what I'm trying to say is when people, when people look at Jesus, they're like, man, I, you know, I, there's something about him. I can't take my eyes off him. I, I hear what he's saying, and it's just life-changing for me. I think it explains why he drew people to him, not just people like you and me, but people who are downcast and out cast and those people who were sick and about to die and those people who others wouldn't have anything to do with he drew these people he drew the normal people like you and me they wanted to hear something new something authoritative he drew the rich people he drew the poor people he drew the leaders everybody jesus drew what was it about him 
What was it about his persona that drew people to him? I think one thing. I think his per- persona said, I-, I got something to offer you. Understand the religion of this day, Judaism was a religion where the teachers were talking about more about what God wants from you than what God has for you. They were more into rules and regulations, and here's what you ought to do, and here's how you should obey. And if you're not clear about how to obey, Rabbi so-and-so has written a whole book about how just to obey this one law. And that's what we have in the Hebrew writings called the Mishnah. You have Jewish rabbis writing commentary on the law. And there turns out not just to be 10 commandments, but there are 400 plus commandments. And then on top of that, there's different ways to interpret how to obey the commandments. So it wasn't wasn't their fault, really. It was the product of generations and hundreds of years of the law. And so now it's, here's how you keep this law, and here's how you break this law. And it was all about what you could do and what you were doing and how you were wrong and how you could be right. But with Jesus, it was all different. Jesus came in and he said, you know, I'm not going to talk about what you can do for me. I want to talk about what I can do for you. What is that? What do we call that? You know what I call it? I call it grace. I mean, you just scour through the Gospels, scour through all these stories and these interactions and these exchanges Jesus had with a woman caught in the act of adultery or the woman at the well who was living with now her sixth man and the, and the, and the man who had uh, leprosy and the man who was crippled and uh, the blind man who was crying out from the side of the road. Look at all these exchanges in the Gospels and you never see Jesus saying, oh, well, you got to do this first. Well, you need, to, you need to show me your papers. I need to see that you've done this and checked that box and you've obeyed this commandment. No, Jesus offered grace. He offered grace. He said, let me, let me tell you what I can do for you. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't hear what I'm not saying. There's a lot of wrong being done out there, and somebody needs to confront it. Somebody needs to teach against it, but that's, that's not where we start. It's not where we should start. However, I think a lot of churches, a lot of Christians, a lot of preachers, that's where we start. We start by telling people what's wrong with them. We start by telling people how we disagree with them. We start by telling people why they're going to hell. And oftentimes we yell at them as they're sliding down the slippery slope into the pits of the culture in hell. I told you you should have stopped that. But what if we what if we offered grace? In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus' persona was out there when he said, "Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Such a refreshing change from the first century rabbis and the rabbis before Jesus. From the Isaiah passage we didn't read, but he read in the synagogue, he said, this passage is about me, this Isaiah 61. I'm here to offer what this passage says the Messiah is going to offer. 
good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed. Now, I want you to notice something. If you go back and read Luke chapter 4, you'll, you'll see that Jesus stopped the reading of Isaiah at a particular point, mid-sentence. This is interesting. A lot of people are debating, even today, why did Jesus stop with this one verse? Why did he stop mid-verse? Isaiah 61 passage that he was reading from says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and then the rest of the sentence from Isaiah 61 says, and the day of vengeance of our God. Isaiah 61 is a great chapter. It's very encouraging, uplifting for God's people, but there's that one verse, that one part where there's a reminder that God has a bad side, if you will, from their perspective. He, he is wrathful. He is vengeful. He will, he will knock you down. He will send you to hell. That's what they were saying. Don't forget the day of vengeance. But you know what Jesus did? He stopped at the word favor. He didn't say anything about the vengeance of God. Why didn't he? And we can take that up with him later. But he stopped and said, look, I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to tell you what you're doing wrong. I'm here to tell you how you can be right, how you can get into a relationship with me. I'm here to proclaim it's time for the Lord's favor. I wonder when people think of Gateway Church, if they think we're a church who is against them or for them. I wonder if we're known as Christians for what we're against or who we're for. Oftentimes, I think if we're not careful, people will know more what we're against than they will what we're for. I mean, I'm against abortion, aren't you? I'm against it. I'm against killing babies in the womb, but I got to be for pregnant women. I got to be for little children. I got to be for families. I got to be for a society that protects the most vulnerable. And there we could go down a list of things that we're known for what we're against and not what we're for. What's our persona? I say it's time to stop at grace. Don't get me wrong. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we should be okay with sin. We don't want to Joel Osteen it. We're not going to be okay with cheap grace, which is grace without repentance, what I'm saying is before we judge, let's offer grace. Jesus stopped at grace because he said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. How could you and how could I be a person with a persona that offers grace? I want to tell you this is a battle for me because I see dust before I see clean. I see cobwebs before I, I see clean I am hard to live with, and my wife's coming up now. She could tell you if I give her a microphone, but I'm not going to do that. 
we gotta we gotta have a persona like Jesus and offer grace before justice or judgment. Let's work on that. It's amazing. Jesus is amazing. He's our model for life. Lord, thank you for your example. Thank you so much for your grace. None of us here deserve grace. We don't deserve mercy. We deserve punishment. We deserve to be sent to hell because we have sinned against you. But God, you offer grace through your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to extend his arms to us and say, come to me and receive forgiveness and salvation and grace. Lord, that's my prayer, that we'd be that church. As we pray for one in the coming year, I pray we'd be a church that keeps that light of evangelism burning because we are reaching out with something to offer our community. That's who we want to be. Lord, help us in that endeavor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing?